1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I encourage you to give them a call. Check out the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is a author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com good for kids of all ages, you should check it out, historycentral.com. Also, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. talking about the interest in Marxism for young people in today's campuses. And we'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great books, uh, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, uh, Shake the Money Tree, Two Great Murder Mysteries in Washington, D.C., it is uh, September the 14th, and on this day in 1814, Francis Scott Key penned a poem, which was later set to music and in 1931 became America's national anthem, The Star-Spangled Banner. The poem, originally titled The Defense of Fort McHenry, was written after Key witnessed the Maryland Fort being bombarded by the British during the World War of 1812. He was inspired by the sight of a lone U.S. flag still flying over Fort McHenry at daybreak and reflected in the now-famous words of the Star-Spangled Banner and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Such an interesting story. On 1812, June 18, 1812, America declared war on Great Britain after a series of trade disagreements. And actually, trade disagreements led to the war. And in August of 1814, British troops invaded Washington, D.C., and burned the White House, the Capitol building, and the Library of Congress. Their very next target was Baltimore. And after one of Key's friends uh, uh, was... Taken prisoner by the British, Key went to Baltimore, located the ship where Beans was being held, and negotiated his release. However, Keyes and Beans were allowed to leave until the British bombardment of Fort McHenry was over. Key watched the bombing, uh, and the campaign unfold from aboard a ship located about eight miles away. And after day after after day, the British were unable to destroy the fort and gave up. Keyes was. Uh, Uh, relieved to see that the American flag was still flying over Fort McHenry. The poem was printed in newspapers and eventually set to music of a popular English drinking tune called uh, To Acreon in Heaven by composer John Stafford Smith. People began referring to the song as the Star-Spangled Banner in 1916, and President Woodrow Wilson announced that it should be played at all official events. It was adopted as the National Anthem March 3, 1931. By the way, Francis Scott D., uh, Key died of pleurisy on January 11, 1843. So that's the story of the Star-Spangled Banner. Well, we've been sopping what here on the Paradise Coast? Tropical storm Sally drenched parts of South Florida Sunday as it roared towards the northern Gulf Coast where it's forecast to make its landfall. Tonight, with dangerous winds go up to 100 miles an hour, a life-threatening storm surge, and flooding rains, <coughs> Sally's forecast... Uh, To arrive there, it's going to be probably further away from the Florida Panhandle. On the southwest coast, uh, the only report I could find was the Marco Island Airport that got 8.45 inches of rain yesterday. And I suspect we got that amount here on the Paradise Coast as well. We're expecting even more rain and thunderstorms this morning. In fact, it's happening right now. Just a little update on COVID-19 from the Florida Health Department. We've had uh, 36 new cases on Friday reported, 37 on Saturday, and 40 on Sunday. There have been four additional deaths. Uh, now, these, these are so suspicious. 87-year-old man, 84-year-old man, 89-year-old woman. Uh, now, again, I come back to this topic of with COVID-19. They simply they were uh in contact with people who were positive and then died afterwards doesn't necessarily mean they died of that. And there's also a 56-year-old man who had contact with a known case. So, Again, the whole focus of this was to be uh, flatten the curve. What does that mean? Make sure we're not overwhelming the healthcare, the hospital systems. Well, there are 38 cases, patients in the Collier County Hospital, so that's certainly not being overwhelmed. The seven-day moving total of new cases has dropped from 64 on August the 31st, the first day of school opening, to 35 on September the 9th. Uh, We'll see if it ends up spiking a little bit here as kids... uh, supposedly you're supposed to be passing it on to others. Uh, By the way, bars and breweries in southwest Florida, or in fact all over Florida, except for I think Miami, are preparing to open today. The governor gave his blessing on that. And uh, of course they're all hoping that customers will return. I'm certain they will. There's still distancing and all the things that are expected in restaurants, but uh, bars are open now. So if Florida felons plan to vote in November, they must pay off all fines, restitution, and legal fees before they can do so. That, according to a federal appellate court they ruled on Friday, the order from the U.S. 11th Circuit Court of Appeals reversed a decision by a lower court that initially gave Florida felons the right to vote without needing to pay off legal obligations. Now, in 2018, Florida voters overwhelmingly approved Amendment 4, which would restore voting rights to felons in the state who have completed their sentences. The amendment was met with with political fight between state lawmakers who sought deeper explanations to what would mean to complete the sentence. Among the dispute was whether outstanding fines were included in the completion of a sentence. And of course, now this ruling says it is. And with the passing of the amendment, an estimated 774,000 disenfranchised felons have the potential to cast a ballot in November. Those who been convicted of murder or rape are still permanently barred from the right regardless of financial debts. Speaking of money... Michael Bloomberg, who spent a billion dollars of his own money on a failed 2020 presidential bid, will inject at least a $100 million to help Democrat Joe Biden's campaign against President Trump in Florida. His decision comes at a critical moment in the final 51 days of the race, with polls showing a close race in the background state and no financial advantage for the sitting president. I thought Minnie Mike was through with Democrat politics, Trump said on a Twitter on Sunday, save the in New York City instead, he said in his tweet. Democrats have worried that Bloomberg's promised uh, help for the party might not come through after he abandoned his own pr- presidential campaign. Some were angered by Bloomberg's getting the primetime speaking slot in the Democrat National Convention without uh, really supporting the uh, party, but... He Said the money, an aide said the money would be used to help bring people to the polls who support Biden and communicating with the Latino voters in particular. So I uh, just remind us that, of course, uh, it was Trump's money that actually uh, led to his first victory in 2016. So uh, you can decide, but it seems to me that I'm not sure money is going to be the solution in this uh, this campaign. I think that's Mark Shulman. You heard the phone ring, so he's the founder and publisher of HistoryCenter.com. We're going to be talking about a lot of global events going on right now. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit Johnson'sAirConditioning.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Golf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Golf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pin Up Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome
0: back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And the website is golfshoreplayhouse.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's uh, the author of a couple of uh, murder mysteries in Washington, D.C. Right now we have with us Mark Shulman. As I mentioned before the break, he's an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, great for kids of all ages. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Mark. And uh, tell us a little bit about HistoryCentral.com.
2: Absolutely. All aspects of history. Primarily in American history, we have American history from before the first explorers all the way to, I guess, the last event we put in was SpaceX bringing launch.
1: So, Mark, this is, this, is a, uh, this is not a good connection for us because your break. I'll point out to our listeners that we're getting your call from uh, Tel Aviv, so very interested in having this guy. Co- no, okay. I'm going to
2: try something one more time here. Okay. Had uh, uh, this more and more recently. Well,
1: you're sounding better, Mark.
2: Okay. How about now?
1: That sounds good. <laughs> so, again, historycentral.com.
2: So we have sections on President <laughs> on history of aviation, history of railroads, history of world history, we have state history. All of in American history, all of America's wars, we have special sections on each of America's wars, starting with the Revolutionary War and through enduring freedom. So we try to we can um I think to continuing you know, to events. I- Try to keep it real, and we're adding lots and lots of videos to our, um, we have a History Central um, YouTube you know, 500 videos also.
1: So, Mark, you're, you are still breaking up. I wonder if you could give me a call back and uh, see if... It,
2: it, one last time, we going outside. How
1: about now? <laughs> hey, that's still much... breaking up? No, oh, no, you're better now, Mark. Thank you. So, well, we have uh, so much to talk, to talk about, because we talk about current global events, and uh, we do that... Uh, we do that every Monday morning, and you're really up to the minute, quite frankly, with what's going on. Uh, let's start off with uh, COVID-19 and what's happening in Israel and Tel Aviv.
2: Absolutely. So the situation in Israel has gone out of control. It's been, it's been slowly increasing all summer long, and then school started. Against a lot of advice, they opened up school fully, and then we started to skyrocket. And it's basically numbers of serious patients that keep on growing. I today the country is going into full lockdown for three weeks.
1: Oh, my goodness. You can't go
2: more than 500 meters from your house. That's about you know, uh, all stores will be closed other than supermarkets and pharmacies. Um, and uh, malls will be closed. Restaurants will be closed. All those things uh, will be closed. They're making some special arrangements, limited arrangements, for people to go to. They got on high, even that is quite limited. So, um, that's where where it stands. Uh, the numbers are just way, 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 way up.
1: Uh, that's just so, so disappointing. Um, you know, selfishly speaking, here on the Paradise Coast, we've seen the numbers drop drastically. Kids have gone back to school. They've been back to school now for two weeks. Uh, but, they, ha- you know, that's about 40% of the kids have gone back to school, and they're social distancing, wearing masks and all those types of things. How about when kids went back to school in Tel Aviv or in, in Israel? What was the situation?
2: Well, you know, the, the, too many masks on their chin. And that's what you see a lot of. Everyone has a mask because they're afraid of getting it. But they tend to wear it on their chins. There is this sense that it's not going to happen to me yeah you know Israel has a very young population it to happen to me that's really to me so to speak
1: mark you uh, know what unfortunately the, this connection is just not working it's uh and i have so many things i want to talk to you about can you just give me a ring back absolutely okay, bye thank you mark let me kind of control the equipment here and see if we can get this working. But I, I do have some things I want to talk to Mark about. There's so many interesting things going on in the world right now, including, uh, for example, the peace agreements that are happening in uh, uh, around the world, and especially in the Middle East. And uh, Bahrain normalizes relationships with e- uh, Israel. And Oman welcomed the decision. Let's see if this works now. Okay, Mark, are you there?
2: Any better?
1: Uh, That's much better, Mark. Thank you so much. Okay, so, uh, anyhow, we're picking up, and I I guess just to conclude, it sounds like, uh, uh, how about in the hospitals in in Israel, what's happening there?
2: The uh, the, uh, cases have now gone beyond the number close to it, depends on the in particular areas of Israel, it's particularly bad uh in the area the center in the area of Tel Aviv is not as bad, and also some of the biggest hospitals are here, so they're sort of doing okay, but in some of the hospitals they've reached the point they can't take any and uh you know and and it keeps
1: on. <laughs> so mark unfortunately you're you're still breaking up, so we it's very difficult to understand what you're saying. I think what you're saying is that some hospitals are being overrun uh the can uh, I don't know if you're able to move to a different place or what but this isn't working right now
2: yeah.
1: hey, no. oh my my
0: goodness
1: can you hear me? it's Mark. it's some sort of interference going on I guess it must be just probably for all cell phone uh service right now between Israel and the United States are you there
2: Thank you I'm doing very well.
1: So I'm sorry, it's just not working on this end, Mark. Uh, let's give it one more trick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to break right now. Can I call you back?
3: Yes, you can. You have my number.
1: Uh, I don't have. The, I have the uh, your uh, right. The number that I normally call is the only number I have. The the so let me let me just let me just take this take this break, and we'll get this figured out during break. Okay. All right. We're gonna have more in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And it's part of the big V recovery. You can find out more by visiting the website thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, I think we got Mark Schulman on the on the phone, and we've got the situation solved. Mark, thank you again so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure. Sorry
1: for the technical difficulties. No no, no worries at all. I'm just grateful that we're able to have this conversation. So, just in conclusion about COVID-19, things sounds like uh, the kids weren't necessarily following the rules in school, and uh, were, did all kids go back to school in Israel?
2: Um, the high school sort of did have one of these half-in, half-out, some remote, but some days not. And again, this whole you know, once you start meeting them all, then you run into problems that it doesn't work. In other words, you can't uh, you know, you you can break them into small groups, but then they all meet right outside afterwards. Right, so it doesn't make a difference.
1: Yeah. So did so, are, is it the older people that are becoming infected, or how? Well, that's
2: slowly what's happening. That, that that's the problem. In other words, at first it was only young people, and some of the young people are also been getting. sick. some young people are getting very sick. The um, the first cousin of my of my son-in-law, who's in his mid forties, is currently intubated
1: and uh, on a respirator oh my goodness so so,
2: so it's, real. it's
1: very and, very real and how and how old is he 48. okay so well uh, right now we've started school about 40 percent of our kids are going back in the first two weeks we've seen the numbers actually drop from an average of 64 cases here in collier county down to about 35 so we're hopeful that the, you know, and they are imposing uh, punishment and uh, consequences for kids that don't follow the rules. So, it's just so interesting.
2: Isn't that tough disease? You know, that's the problem. And it keeps on, things change and yeah. doesn't want to go away so quickly. So, even when we get the numbers down, if we let our guard down, it pops back up. Yeah. That's that's just, the reality, I'm afraid. I just
1: come back to this thought. I mean, uh, as, I've, as I'm have as i reading, Sweden apparently is experiencing fewer deaths, and uh, they didn't uh, shut down their economy, although their economy did suffer because people took real precautions with regard to COVID-19. But it makes me wonder if perhaps uh, slowing the spread's not doing us a favor. We will just let the spread, spread go. and
2: Yeah, the only problem with that is, of course, first of all, they had 4,000 deaths in a relatively small country. Yeah. Uh, with 9 million, pe- 9 million people. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I guess America is getting close to that, relatively speaking, but still America would have more deaths than it currently does. <laughs> Number two, keep in mind, the Swedes are very different than both Americans or Israelis. The average household size in Sweden is one.
1: The average household size is one, did you say?
2: It's one, yes.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Don't get
2: mad. They have very few kids. And so it's easy. It's you don't. It's hard to spread it within the family when you don't have a big family.
1: good point. Yeah. So it is going to depend somewhat on the circumstances in in the individual communities, but. Uh, and then I just don't, most
2: of the stuff in the world is taking place at home within family. Yeah. Of course, where it comes from the outside is always the question. But the reality is, once for the family gets it, usually the rest of the family gets it as well. And one of two of those people might be more susceptible, or or sicker, or have pre-condition, pre-existing condition, or older.
1: So, Mark, I mean, so, the, 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 there are, as we've, as we've learned, there are consequences for shutting down as well, unintended consequences like suicides, like alcoholism, like child abuse, like, and you can go through the list. Any thoughts on that?
2: Yes, no, it really is a problem. It's a trade-off. It really is a, a big trade-off. And what Israel mm-hmm. was basically saying is we can, we'll put it off And we'll try to limit the amount of restrictions, but up to the point where the hospitals can no longer cope.
1: Yeah, are the are are the kids are the kids uh,
2: hospitals can't cope? You don't have much choice.
1: Are the kids going to virtual school? Are they learning online?
2: They're supposedly they're supposed to, but not enough kids have computers. All the same problems that America has sometimes. You know, the wealthier kids all have computers; the kids who are poorer sometimes not. Yeah, And so you have all these same problems, and you have, again, wealthier school districts. Israel has a central educational system, but it gets supplemented by the cities. And so you have wealthier or non-wealthier school systems also in the country, so... Like in the United States, it varies greatly.
1: Well, thank you for that report, Mike. Before I do, want to make sure we cover some of the things that are going on in the world, including normalization of relations between Bahrain and Israel. Oman saying this seems, looks like a good decision. Sounds it looks to me like with everything that's going on that uh, they're normalizing relationships with Israel, which is going to put pressure on Palestine to come to some sort of agreement.
2: Right. No, no doubt about it. They. The Palestinians had always sort of had this card, well, the rest of the Arab world is not going to normalize unless you come to an agreement with us. They made the mistake, in my opinion, the Palestinians in not engaging in the Trump peace plan. In other words, even though they didn't like the plan, mm-hmm. what they should have said was, okay, we're happy to negotiate. We disagree with A, B, C, and D. Let's talk about it. I mean, it's been, it's been their problem all the way through. It goes all the way back to Camp David with... Uh, Clinton and Rabin, and it goes back, you know, even before that. Excuse me, Clinton and Barak, and it goes back even before that. And yeah. the reality is that the Palestinians never come back with a counter offer, and that's a problem because people say, "Okay, you don't agree with what we have to offer. Well, what do you have suggested?" Maybe you know that's how you negotiate, right? I mean, yeah. you have one view, I have another view. We want to come to an agreement. I make a proposal. You don't like it. Here's my counter proposal, and we'll work on it. But the Palestinians never come back with the counter proposal. They just say no.
1: So what, we I, the what about states the argument that th- they can't
2: make any promises in saying no, and we're not allowing, we don't want them to be the veto to relations we think is to us between Israel and the Gulf states?
1: It seems to me that they're reducing their, their negotiation power, <laughs> negotiating power by what's going on around them because uh, now more and more states are beginning to... And I've heard that. Uh, I read just this morning that Saudi Arabia is, uh, is moving in the same direction.
2: Right. There's clearly some un- under the table relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Look, the fact of the matter is that Saudi Arabia has made a major concession, if yeah. you want to define it, to Israel to allow Israeli and other flights uh, to fly over Saudi Arabia. For Israel, it's a big deal because it's actually flight time, let's say, to India or to Thailand and those places by two or three hours. Yeah. And so that, that's a big deal. And. Um, uh, it's quite possible Saudi Arabia could be next. It could be that they want some, some Israel to do some small matter for the Palestinians. Not clear exactly. But again, the Palestinians need to stop. stop look, the Palestinians have played victimhood to the nth degree for the last two 50 years. Right. Through, ter- through terror, through all sorts of things that they've done over the years, they've played the victim. And in some ways they are a bit of a victim, but you can't play the victim forever. You have to say... You have to negotiate. You have to say that, understand the fact that you're coming from a weaker position. And when you're coming from a weaker position, you're not going to get everything you want just because you want it. And
1: that's so, the reality. Okay. So, and the other, uh, maybe you could comment on, on this as well, because uh, I've read that Palestine does not want to become a state because they can become accountable for all the things that they're doing, you know, in terms of terror and so forth. Uh, so they, that's one of the reasons why they don't want to normalize relations with Israel.
2: I don't know about that. I think it's more of a question. That, look, they keep on selling to their people that someday they're going to return to the homes that their great-grandparents lost in the 1948 war. Yeah. And no one is willing to tell the people and the refugees, etc., that no, that's never going to happen. Maybe we'll get some compensation, but you're never going to come to go back to the cities that have, for, you know, for 70 years been part of Israel. You're not going to go back to that. And they haven't been willing to be honest with their own people ever. And that's really the crux of the matter. Um, and until someone's honest with these people, especially the refugees who are living... The refugees in Jordan, the refugees in Lebanon, uh, the, the refugee camps in the Gaza Strip, instead of building housing, they live in refugee camps for now for 70, or 70 years in some cases. Wow. And instead of saying, no, we're making a life here, and we'll get some compensation, the world will help us, etc., etc. they're still telling them, the a dream that someday they're going to get back to the homes that their great-grandparents lost 70 years ago.
1: So just so, just taking a step back, though, I mean, this development is huge, is it not? I mean, with regard to normalizing relations in, in the Middle East, this is going to be a very positive outcome for the economies, for the world economy. There's just a lot of positive things that could come from this.
2: I mean, it's, it's very positive for Israel. There's no question about it. And it's positive for the Gulf states. The world economy, I don't know. It's the United States. I'm um, you know for the United States the up is the ability to sell some bombs, I would say. And of course, you know, maybe some additional regional stability. Yeah. Again, look, part of this is happening because of Iran, because these countries consider Iran their mortal enemy at this
1: point. Yeah.
2: And so the enemy of My enemy is my friend, and that's part of it, obviously, as well.
1: Yeah, interesting.
2: Um, so, so that's clearly part of what's going on here, as well.
1: Yeah. So, th- and also uh, this, uh, p- or normalizing relationships between uh, relations between Serbia and uh, the breakaway Republic of Kosovo. That's kind of a big deal, too.
2: Yeah, a little less than, than being laid out. The elections haven't been normalized. They're just not going to against each other in the international arenas in the meantime. So I wouldn't go too far with what what happened there. There was some progress there, no question about it, but there wasn't the sort of peace, uh, a love between neighbors that's not broken out. They haven't worked out any of their deeper disputes. They basically decided to put their disputes on hold in the meantime. So it's a good thing. There's no question. It's a good thing. Yeah. But I wouldn't go. You know, I wouldn't say it's an overwhelmingly. Uh, it's been made out to be a bigger thing in the United States than it has been in Kosovo and Serbia, Let's put it that
1: uh, Okay, way. well, again, there, we have the tension between the Christians and the, and the Muslims there as well, so uh, if there are normalizing relationships, perhaps that's quelling some of the hatred between the two uh, uh, cultures. I hope
2: so. Let's put it that way. Look, the, the truth, they all got along. And, uh, in the late 19, in late 20th century, as fundamentalist Islam grew, Those fissures that may have existed under the under the table for centuries came forth, and we had all the violence that we've seen.
1: So the 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 bully on the the moving uh, changing topics again. The the bully in the world right now seems to be the Chinese. Well, they had a skirmish with uh, India, and the India fought back. (laughs) They actually saw the Chinese in retreat. What's going on here?
3: Well, again,
2: look, China's China's using its muscles wherever it can uh the, the dispute between India and China goes all the way back like they 've gone to war a number of times over uh, disputed territory in the high himalayas um, and I think it's more been a question of national honor for both countries mm-hmm. it 's not territory that any of us really anyone really needs in a big way so you know there's that uh, There's the you know, the bigger news story which we should keep on mentioning um, is belarus uh-huh because that's the most important story going on, the attempt of the people of Belarus to throw out their dictator and the fact that the Russians are basically said they'll come to his aid. So We'll have to see what happens there, but the people are not stopping, In other words, despite the fact that they're arresting their leaders and they're using violence against the protesters. The protests continue week after week. Tens of thousands of people coming to the streets. Um, we'll have to see where that goes, but so far the people are not backing down. They want this. Dictator who's been in power now for twenty some odd years
1: out. Well, apparently there was a there was a vote, and, and the vote was apparently eighty percent against the dictator. He said, "Nope, I won," <laughs> and, yes. and the consequence of that is the people were just not going to stand it. And uh, Russia has said, "Well, I'm, we're going to come to your aid; we're, we'll stand behind you." But uh, I don't think that's going to quell the dissatisfaction with the people there in Belarus.
2: No, absolutely not. And listen, you know, part of the problem was Putin. Does lots of things and gets very little pushback. Uh, you know, we, we we've seen what's happened. We saw what happened in terms of his kill, uh, trying to kill his greatest domestic uh, opponent. We tried to poison. Yeah. And he didn't care. The world news tried to poison him. There have been more and more cases now of Russian overflights towards the U.S. borders. And of course, we have this other issue that hasn't been dealt with: the fact that he was putting bounties on U.S. troops and paying the Taliban to kill them. Yeah. So a friend of the United States, Putin is not.
1: Yeah, um, and and we, uh, we were and we are flying uh, B one bombers over the Arctic, East uh, Siberian Sea, to sh- it, as a show of force, uh, apparently in their their flight territory. So, uh, yeah, but guess the the United States is saying, hey, we're we're not going to put up with this behavior.
2: Correct, right, to a very large extent. And of course, we also have whatever interference they clearly are involved in in elections. So we need to be very careful. They, they want to sow confusion. They want to undermine the democratic, whenever they can. They don't want to do it here. They do it all over the world. Whenever there's elections, they try to undermine, undermine elections in any which way they can. Because chaos Just is it, what the Russians want more than anything else.
1: To that point, there's an organization called Act Blue that apparently has 51% of its donors. Now, this is $400 million. You can imagine that this take-back action, $400 million ba- made by unemployed donors. <laughs> so, to your point, I mean, uh, there is speculation that these, this is a foreign money coming in from China or Russia to, uh, to influence the out- outcome of the election.
2: Possibly. I think they're doing m- much more in terms of social media and full social media. That's really their thing. Money is not their thing. Mm. They, they found it much easier with spending a lot less money to influence social media in all sorts of ways. Yeah. And they're really very, very good at it.
1: Well, this could be I mean, just... I mean, I've
2: appeared a few times on Russian television, and I, I some of some them want to be honest I absolutely will not do this. They wanted me to to talk about something made by a Russian dissident. Um, it was a they made 20 years ago, and he wanted me to talk about that before that. Uh,
1: and
2: yeah. my talk to them is when Holocaust issues is related to the polls, et cetera. But they really have a real agenda, and they work at it.
1: Yeah. Mark uh, Mark Shulman, Shulman again, the, uh, the founder and publisher of History. Jeez, it's amazing. Just here at the end of our conversation, you're breaking up again. But I I genuinely appreciate your contribution to the show, Mark. It's always great to have you on the have show. Have a
2: great week. I'll be with, uh, thank I'll you. By next week.
1: Thank you Thanks. so much, Mark. Uh, all right. Well, I hope you were. It's a little bit difficult to understand him. I apologize for that. But again, Mark is uh, really a smart guy, and he does uh, great work. Again, historycentral.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, a lot more, right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting
1: Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willy's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House thrift stores, Cafe M25, car wash and detailing center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. Org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He's also an author. He uh, writes many columns. He's the president emeritus of a terrific organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry Reed, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me, Bob.
1: Always a pleasure. And tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education.
4: Okay. We work primarily with young people of high school and college age, and our purpose is to educate and inspire them in ideas of individual liberty, private property, minimal government, and personal character. We do that through uh, seminars in person all over the country, and also a very robust website, feefeE.org
1: terrific organization and again if you have a young person in your life a grandchild or a child and the ages of college or high school age introduce them to the foundation for economic education it can be a life-changer I've met kids that have gone to these seminars and it is a fantastic impact on their lives so Larry you wrote a column which is I think so timely and important making marks proud today's campus lunacy maybe you can tell us about it
4: okay What prompted my uh, attention to this issue, Bob, was uh, a phenomenal uh, event that happened uh, just about a month or so ago. Uh, On Twitter, there was a survey posted that asked the question, if you were dropped 2,000 years back in time with nothing but the knowledge you have now, what would you do? Mm. And one man named Timothy Snedeker replied to it, and what he wrote is almost uh, unrepeatable, but he said... Easy, I would find and assassinate Jesus of Nazareth. Theologically speaking, it would be really important to get in before his calling and ministry begins. So that gives me roughly a decade to make it to Palestine, locate the man, and make my move. And, which is unbelievable. Then he uh, shut down his Twitter account after he got uh, quite a lot of uh, negative reaction. Well, you know, you might say, well, this guy is probably a nobody or just an angry... Uh, uh, bum somewhere. Yeah. No, he was uh he's actually a teaching assistant at the University of California Santa Barbara. Mm. Uh in the religion department, no question. Uh, uh no I mean no uh, uh No doubt. Uh, yep. yeah. I forgot the word I was going to use there, <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh no less. No less. Uh, yeah, in the religion department. Can you imagine that?
1: Yeah, it's unbelievable. And uh but I think the the important connection here is uh a lot of people are like-minded that are I mean, he's he's, te- he's a theology professor or, or wannabe, anyhow. But uh, across across the uh, the uh, the teaching faculty at uh, University of Santa Barbara, California, Santa Barbara, and other places, you're going to find like-minded folks.
4: Oh yeah, increasingly, uh, this is really not uh, uh, all that unusual, and certainly things nearly as bad are, are quite common. Uh, when you think about it, the the violent rhetoric that we're hearing so much about these days, the the wokeness that uh, borders on lunacy, uh, the madness of political correctness, the attempts to shut down dissenting views and speakers, the safe space uh, snowflake uh, stuff, all of that is coming from socialist leftist academia. I mean, you've never heard uh, of a moderate or a conservative or a libertarian student trying to silence a speaker. Uh, or burn down a building or deface a monument it, it's it's all coming from the far left and the reaction of many administrations at colleges is to tolerate it instead of uh, standing uh, up for the uh, importance of an academic institution committed to all views and not uh, intimidating
1: people. Yeah, and just imagine the irony of spending $40,000 a year or more to send uh, your high school graduate off to college only to have them go through a factory that produces this kind of thought and and this kind of activity, like, for example, hassling people in restaurants and, and uh, asking them to raise their hands in, in, a, in a fist, uh, standing in front of a hospital saying, I hope the cops die that just got shot this morning,
4: yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, do you think? Yeah. I think there's actually a cl- clear connection here. What do you think?
4: Oh, totally. Uh, ideas have consequences, and typically, these uh, violent protesters uh, are animated by uh, leftist thinking. They they hate the rich. They hate the successful. They they hate America. They hate our uh, our liberties. And if they were in charge. Uh, you can bet that they would clamp down and shut people up and throw people in prison simply for disagreeing with their leftist uh, prescriptions. And yeah. in almost every case, when it comes to their knowledge of economics or history, uh, that they spend so much time protesting, it's minimal. They, you know, they went to, they go to college and uh, they come out the other side uh, knowing the left-wing bumper stickers, but uh, not very much history or economics uh, to any depth.
1: I mean, you just take a look at the Karl Marx and his life. I mean, uh, he, he was a proponent of socialism, but uh, just what kind of what's the outcome about what he spread uh, in terms of uh, the hundreds of millions of people that have been killed, uh, the despotic form of government that's created? There's no good outcome.
4: No, absolutely not. In fact, it's the uh, most uh, murderous philosophy the world has ever seen. Uh, in just one century, Uh, the 20th, not long after Karl Marx died, uh, uh, people who were trying to implement his ideas were responsible for the deaths of at least 100 million people. I mean, it's uh, and he himself uh, was uh, an absolute basket case in so many ways, a violent man, a nasty, rotten, angry man, uh, and it showed up in his writings, and uh, that's exactly what uh, people protesting in his name are uh, doing these days.
1: Yeah, and I just don't know why young people can't embrace opportunity. You you think about telling a young person, "We want you to be free." You think they'd embrace that. Everybody wants to get away from their parents, be able to drive their own car, <laughs> be able to yeah. to do what they want to do. And yet, what they want to do is to create more uh, more control uh, over their lives. So it's it's just uh, so ironic to me.
4: Yeah, and what kind of message are parents sending when uh, they uh, send their children to? places like this, uh, pay the cost of doing so, and uh, rarely, in in most cases, ever question uh, what it is they're being taught. I mean, we really have to, as parents, take more responsibility for what it is we're putting our, our sons and daughters into.
1: Yeah, well, it seems to me during this COVID-19 experience, this is a great opportunity for transformation, especially on the level of education. I hope, I hope it occurs. Hey, I just so greatly appreciate you bringing these issues to light. I'm just going to refer, well, this, is this on your website now, Fee?
4: Uh, no, this is uh, on my personal website, which is Uh People can find that, or it's on the intellectualtakeout.com, Site as well, but it's probably easiest to find on mine, lawrencewreed.com. All
1: right, Larry. Well, I genuinely appreciate your contribution to the show. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. All right, my pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Jim McTagg. Jim is, I, I like to talk to Jim because he's right there in Washington, D.C. When he was at Barron's, he had his own White House press pass. And uh, so he knows a lot about what's going on on the inside of the Beltway in Washington, D.C. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
5: With all the threats to faith, family, and freedom, Christian Television Network, the Faith Center Fort Myers, and Florida Pastors Network invite you to Healing Our Nation Tuesday, September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. for a free panel discussion on engaging and impacting culture with a biblical worldview. Distinguished National Guest Bishop E.W. Jackson, founder of Stand Foundation, staying true to America's national destiny. John Stenberger, founder of Florida Family Policy Council and called to vote. Along with historian and best-selling author, Dr. William Federer, want to equip you to effectively respond to the moral and social issues impacting our community. Join us live on television September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. on CTN Southwest Florida or live streaming at ctntelevision.com or in person at the Faith Center. Details, ctntelevision.com. That's ctntelevision.com. Or call 239-543-7200.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks back to work, off welfare. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Uh, His first is Follow the Leader. The second in the sequel is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us.
3: It's a pleasure, uh, Bob. I I spent the weekend cleaning out the closets and found a stack of uh, old barons uh, that my wife had kept, uh, which I will recycle since everything is online now. But um, I found a uh, cover story I wrote from July 2007, uh, this was a year before the uh, presidential election, and we rated all the candidates from both parties in terms of uh, who would be uh, best for the stock markets. And uh, uh, this was not selecting candidates or predicting an election outcome. It was uh. just trying to give voters a guide, the uh, The best candidate uh, for the uh, Democrats would have been Bill Richardson, who was one of their worst candidates. Yeah. And number two was Barack Obama, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, the Republicans, Mitt Romney. Uh, but Joe Biden was way in the back of the pack. He he got um, close to failing grades. Only John Edwards did worse than Biden in, in our scoring for who would be best for the stock markets and investing. So, and I look at uh, Biden's proposals today on capital gains and he is consistent. Yeah. He's still, uh, he still would be a disaster for uh, capital gains.
1: And that's a big deal because uh, capital, that that really puts a mute, that puts a governor, an uh, idler, if you will, on the economy because when people don't have incentive to invest and in to, to reap the rewards, if you're giving the rewards off to the government, why take the risk in the first place?
3: Well, the other thing is he would raise the... Uh, capital gains tax on people who make uh, have an income of a million or more and that sounds like a rarefied atmosphere uh, because i think that uh, he probably would apply this to people with much lower incomes but anyway the, by raising the taxes and and applying a surcharge it would have be a forty three point four percent federal capital gains tax for high-income individuals And we know from history that what happens in the event of high capital gains taxes is people lock in their investments. They're reluctant to take a profit and take that big tax hit. So the markets get stagnant because you don't have the free flow of capital from uh, existing companies to promising enterprises you know y- y- and, uh, y- it's not worth the risk if you're going to take a huge haircut to move the money from uh... uh... one corner of your portfolio to another corner of your portfolio and that strangles uh, innovation in the economy
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, And that's just the, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Biden and, and his economic policies. I mean, when, it, when I just think through what the impact might be with the increased regulations, the EPA regulations, all the things that w- would reoccur as a consequence, reinstalling everything, you know, uh, w- single-payer health care, you go right down the list, the quality of care will go down, the costs will go up, uh, it's going to dumb down the economy in just a big way, including capital gains.
3: Uh, I. Uh- you know, the uh, as a conservative, I despair, uh because there is really no one uh a pure conservative play for voters, uh this election cycle. Uh let me add that uh you know, we wrote that story as I said in July of two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm. A month later, or, uh on August ninth, two thousand and seven, there was a, a big stock market sell off. Right. And it was precipitated by uh concerns that uh PNC Paribas, a French bank, and at AIG, the insurance company, about the performance of uh, subprime and prime mortgages. There were there was a sudden spike in uh, mortgage defaults, and then uh, you know, by, and then uh, the following December, the economy collapsed because of the uh, uh, subprime crisis. So, Barons, at that time, uh, free marketeers that we were. Uh, and we and we judged all these candidates on their free market friendliness. Uh we became uh cheerleaders for a uh, aggressive stimulus to to and we even supported the government's investing in General Motors which was like would have our f- former battering c- colleagues turning in their graves.
1: Right. Uh
3: but the uh but we never suggested raising taxes on capital gains and investment. I mean, you just don't raise taxes when you have a, a, a crisis like that. So it just cutting be, off uh, liquidity. Yeah, and, but apparently... There's another crisis. Yeah. You know, so so uh, and then exacerbate. It, I'm sorry,
1: Bob. No, that's okay. But just, you're just reminding me, like uh, the government, all of a sudden under Barack Obama, picking winners and losers, deciding who's going to be able to keep their car agency open, who's going to have to close. I mean, and the the funneling money into organizations like General Motors. I mean, it was just uh, crony capitalism at, or crony socialism at its absolute worst. I just couldn't believe what was going on. Of course, we're seeing things that are going on right now that are shocking.
3: Uh, we are all in the name of uh, addressing this crisis. I mean, and we're throwing the kitchen sink at, at it, and uh, some kitchen sinks are more preferable than uh, others. Yeah. Like the uh, feds, the feds' role in the economy, and its uh, aggressive uh, on buying is is alarming. Yeah. Um, of course, as an investor, I'm happy that it, they're propping me up. Uh, I, absolutely, but, but if, it, how
1: how long will it last?
3: Uh, correct, and who. Uh, and who is suffering because of this? And and you know how will it distort the economy and the Federal Reserve going for, forward? You know the Federal Reserve was I don't think was ever envisioned to be as powerful as it is today. It's it's running the U.S. economy, uh, and part of the reason is Congress is paralyzed and they can't agree on a stimulus package. You, right. you could argue that the government spending is needed here to prime the pump.
1: Well, I think and, and our seventh danger
3: is. The danger is, uh, do you get somebody in office who realizes that the government spending should be short term? It should be priming the pump. Uh, or does it become institutionalized and, and that the big spending uh, is locked in and high taxes are locked in for decades and decades to come.
1: Yeah. Well, and what's amazing to me is, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm a strong supporter of President Donald Trump, especially in light of uh, the opposition going into the uh, November 3rd election, but, I mean, the uh, seemingly, it used to be that the national debt was so important to us, it's, <laughs> that concern has been thrown out them, me, well, money's cheap, well, what the heck, you know, well, it's, we can borrow <laughs> another trillion dollars in order to stimulate the economy. Not that that's not important. I mean, but uh, you know, it's just amazing to me the uh, debt that we're creating for our for the for the future generations.
3: Yeah, and it's very dangerous to have too much. Pa- as I mean, this is uh, common knowledge, but you know, you don't want too much power in Washington, which is a, a city state. I mean, Washington, as you know, having lived here, yeah, is. It's one of the wealthiest communities in the country, and it's not because we are uh, leaders in uh, innovation and enterprise. No. It's because people are li- living off your federal tax dollars. So so it's it's corruption. It's crony capitalism. Uh, you don't want that to be the case. You don't, you don't want bureaucrats trying to predict the future and to direct the economy. So, um, you know, we really do. I mean, I mean there are times when you... you relax the free market and and you know when when you're at war for example and we're in sort of a war right now Chinese have bombed us with coronavirus, uh you need a federal spending effort but but you need somebody again I repeat, you need somebody who knows that uh this must end someday and that the free market makes better decisions than the bureaucrats in well, Washington. D.C. That's
1: exactly right, and and this this discussion. I mean, uh, I know you're not a, a big Donald Trump supporter, but I mean, the alternative is would be disastrous. So I just just encourage our listeners vote. <laughs> Make sure that you vote on November the third, and uh, it is also a reminder of how deep the and thick the swamp is because it it includes bureaucrats who are slow walking all the things that are that are happening in washington dc as well jim always appreciate your commentary on the show and i encourage your listeners to get a copy of your book uh, follow the leader and shake the money tree thank you so much for joining us thank you bob my pleasure indeed well that's a wrap here in today's show i hope you enjoyed it i had fun and learned a lot uh i hope you'll uh Send me an email if you have any thoughts about the program, if you'd like to receive a copy of the newsletter that I send out after every show. In any event, I hope you stay dry, stay healthy, and I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.